We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. It's good to see you. I hope you've had a good week. It's been a cold week. My goodness, even when it didn't look like it was slick out there, it was slick, wasn't it? I've talked to a lot of people that fell and crashed, and I don't think uh, too many broken bones, but um, as Jared said in the announcements, welcome to 80 degrees and or 90 degrees, and uh, we can have... Uh, 20 degrees, 90 degrees the same day here, and it felt like, uh, it sure feels good today compared to the last week we've had, so glad that you're here. I want to talk with you tonight, we have looked at, in the last few weeks, out of the Gospel of Luke, remember Luke was a physician, he was a, a doctor, and he would be someone that's meticulous, studied, he knew what research was to make sure the facts were given clearly. And God used him to write one of the Gospels so clearly of the, the works of Christ. And we looked at, of course, at Christmas time, the baby of Bethlehem. And we could look at that the rest of our lives and not see all the great love that God showed in giving his son. And the reason that he came as a little baby. He could have come as a, a mighty warrior on a stallion. He could have defeated the Romans and driven them out of the land of Israel and come as conquering king. But he came humbly, riding on a little colt the foal of a donkey, and he came to die. We looked at the boy in the temple. Uh, he was taken to the temple at eight days old to be dedicated, and then at 12 years old, we, we saw where his family went back for Passover. Uh, he stayed behind. I'm sure you've never gotten lost before, but as a parent, it's kind of a fearful thing when that hits you just that moment and you look around and you don't know where your child is. It, there is something that happens in your stomach it goes all the way through you, and all the parents are going like this right now. It is, it is very, very frightening. They'd already gone uh, because they, they traveled in, in groups and very customary that they was, thought Jesus would have been with a family somewhere. Jesus had a lot of uh, brothers and sisters. They had cousins. He had, there would be a lot of uh, people that have come from the same place. You know, it was three days before they found him. They'd gone a day out of Jerusalem. They came back, and then they found him on the third day in the temple. We looked at the boy in the temple, the savior in the wilderness. How would you like your ministry to start? Oh, by the way, you got to go to the wilderness and be tempted by the devil in a greater way than anybody ever has before. Welcome to ministry. We looked at the Messiah in the synagogue. The first place as Jesus came to give his first sermon in his ministry after it started was in hometown Nazareth synagogue and they wanted to kill him. Why in the world would they want to kill the Son of God? Because he is all truth. And when he, when he spoke the truth to them, we as mankind are fallen, we're broken, we have a sinful nature. And Jesus, if he were standing right here today, you know, I'm standing in front of you and you can say, big deal. But if Jesus were standing here, we would be so humbled by that. We would be, uh, we would be in shock. We would be amazed and we would... Probably be like Peter, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus would probably do what he did for Peter, just open his arms and welcome us. So we looked at the Messiah in the synagogue and, and the welcome to ministry again, your first sermon. I remember my first sermon. Oh my goodness. I played you a little bit last week. I'm not going to ever do that again to, to hurt anybody. Uh, to hear my voice when I was 16 years old, when that church let me stand up in the pulpit, uh, I don't recommend that for anyone, but it's a beautiful memory for me. I want to talk with you. We've looked at the early years of Jesus' ministry, and I want to talk to you for a while about the wonder years. You know, if you're of a certain age, that reminds you of a television show about a boy and his life and all the things he went through growing up. I never watched it personally. Some of you probably know it very, very well, but it was documenting a lot of events as a person grows up, just like you and I do. The wonder years. Well, the word wonder is found in the New Testament, and we're going to look at, there's several different things that describe mighty supernatural events that Jesus did that were, uh, you and I can't do those things. They are miracles. I love what Tommy says. People say, well, why didn't Jesus do miracles every day? I'm convinced he does if we could see them all. But why doesn't he just raise the dead and and, and heal a floor down there at the hospital. And, and uh, Tommy said, if he did them every day, they wouldn't be called miracles, they'd be called normicles. And that's true. 
the miracles, the wonders, the signs, the mighty works that Jesus did are unusual. They're not usual. Have you ever wondered why when we pray, Jesus doesn't heal everyone? He doesn't raise the dead. He doesn't do a miracle every time we ask him. We're going to seek to answer that tonight. We're going to seek to answer that as we close tonight. So hold on. Uh, give you a little bit of introduction to miracles. There are 42 different accounts of miracles in the four gospels in the New Testament. Uh, there's different countings because some of them kind of overlap, but uh, there are 25 healings where Jesus healed somebody physically. There are eight exorcisms. We don't talk about that very much, but Jesus literally. Uh, don't you know that when Jesus came to the earth that Satan would really ramp up his game? He would send everything to stop the Son of God from completing what God wanted him to do. So uh, demonic activity and witchcraft and all kinds of things was very, very prevalent during the time Jesus walked on the earth. There are uh, eight different times Jesus cast out demons. You, if you're a believer here tonight... You do not have to be afraid of Satan, any demon whatsoever. They're afraid of you because who lives inside of you. If you don't know Jesus, come talk with us because you should be afraid. There are 10 wondrous miracles, and that's like feeding of the 5,000 or feeding of the 4,000. They're just wonderful works that he did, not healings, not raising somebody from the dead, but there's three raisings from the dead. We're going to look at two of them here tonight. Um, Luke records 25 different of these signs and wonders, 43, 42 in all those, uh, the Gospels, but there are 25 in Luke. And as I've used those words interchangeably, signs, wonders, miracles, and works. Hebrew in the Old Testament, mostly two words are used for miracles, and they are sign, which is O-T-H, O-T-H, and wonder, which is M-O-P-H-E-T-H, that we've transliterated from Hebrew signs and wonders. Sometimes they're synonyms. They occur in the same verse, Exodus 7, 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So a lot of times they're used as the same word in the same sentence even. They're a sign. What is it? It's an object or it's a daily activity with an unexpected divine action. Uh, Genesis 1.14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Uh, I believe it was Joshua fighting the battles of God and the sun was about to go down and, and the battle was not won yet. And Joshua, by the inspiration of God, said to the sun, sun, stand still. And the Bible says it stood still. Until that battle was won. There was another time when a man was asked, shall I give you a sign? Do you want the, the, the sundial to go forward or do you want it to go back? And God actually turned back time a little bit. The only two times that we know of that he changed and altered time. That is a sign that showed up. Uh, the basic nature of a sign, and this is where we kind of get off sometimes, I believe, as humans. We want a sign for our pleasure, for our answer to prayer, for what we want. But a sign is usually to point people to God. It is something that is so fantastic, so wonderful, that the world has to know God did that. God did that. And it should draw people to him. The other word is wonders, and that is a supernatural activity. It's a special manifestation of God's power. Uh, it could be a, a sign of a future event. Signs uh, seek to bring belief. That's one of the reasons they're done. Wonders are something. The psalmist says that really only God can do. Psalm 72, 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. When the apostles or someone else did wonders, they did it by God's power. So the psalmist is saying, if you've truly seen a miracle, a wonder, then it is by God's power. Uh, New Testament, that was Old Testament. New Testament, signs and wonders show up often. They're used uh, synonymously again. It, it also could be used for the enemy in Matthew 24. False signs, false Christs and false prophets are gonna come. They'll arise and they'll show great signs and wonders. It is a supernatural kind of work and they will come to do it to mislead, the Bible says. 
Sign, the Greek uh, we get that word from is Simeon, S-I-E-S-E-M-E-I-O-N. And it is evidence of divine authority. It's not something that you and I would go around, watch this. It's not a magic trick. It's not something we practice so that we can do it well. It is a supernatural event with divine authority. Um, Sometimes it's translated miracle. Now, Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him. He was hoping to see some sign performed by him. Wonders in the New Testament, T-E-R-A-S, the Greek word, translate to, uh, it actually comes from the word we use, terror. Something that's terrorizing. It's not normal. It is supernaturally frightening. And so sometimes wonders are used. And then one other word, the New Testament, or two other words, a lot of times the word dunamis, dunamis, we get the word dynamite, talks about the power or the ability from God to do a supernatural work. And then that last word is work. Sometimes the works of Jesus are referring to signs. That's ergon, E-R-G-O-N. The John the Baptist said he had heard about the works of Jesus. So that's just a little bit. You're probably familiar with all those things. Here's an interesting thing. I was reading about C.S. Lewis this, this last week, and uh, he believes something that's a little bit different. And I'll tell you what I believe, and uh, you can just believe it if you want to, and you just don't believe it if you don't want to. There's some people that thought miracles were just things that we don't have the knowledge to understand yet. Does that make sense? They're just things, you know, before microscopes, we didn't know about microorganisms. We didn't know there's little bugs everywhere. I remember as a little child when I first heard about that. Those little bugs are in the food that I'm eating and they're on that little slide, you know, you put underneath there. Those little bugs are everywhere. I mean, it was a shock to me. Some people believe, and they call it this, some hold that miracles are, Uh, They're not contrary to nature at all, and they call it the harmony view. C.S. Lewis was one of those. Augustine was one of them. And they contend that human knowledge is just limited, and we don't have the understanding to comprehend these higher laws of God, and we call it miraculous. I'll give you an example. Can you remember the first time you took some magnets and somebody showed you how to put them, and they pushed away from each other? Now, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? And if you do it a certain way, they just grab to each other and they stick. Well, you can't see what causes that with your eye, but it's real. You can duplicate it. And a lot of people talk about the miracles of Jesus just being things that are beyond the human's knowledge to understand the natural world. I don't believe that. I believe that when we talk about signs, miracles, wonders, uh, works, these are supernatural events or happenings where God enters into this world in history and alters the way he has set up his creation. I believe they are divine works of an almighty, supernatural, powerful God. That's called the intervention view. That's where God says, do this. That's where a donkey turns around and talks to Balaam. Now, Kim, what would you think if one of your horses, you're riding it one day and and you, you know, you kind of spurred a little bit to get him to go faster. And he just stops, turned around and said, Mr. Clark, am I not running fast enough for you? Have I ever mistreated you? Uh, I don't know if we'd have to take him to the hospital or what would happen if that, but that's an intervention into the natural creation where God alters it. He does something. When he heals a, a blind man that's born from birth, no one ever had ever done that before. And so I want to talk to you about tonight, two people that were raised literally. This is literal. It's not figurative. It's not allegory. It is, it's not a metaphor for something else. These were two people that were dead. Now, an old country guy said uh, they're graveyard dead. They're not going to be resuscitated. They're not just in a coma and they're going to be awakened. They're dead. And God is going to do, Jesus is going to do two miracles that are amazing. Why would power over death be important for the Messiah to have? 
Think about that as we read this story. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Would you look with me there? Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain. His disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. And now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. This is a grown man here, but it is a widow's son. She was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. What we see is a funeral procession. What we do here in Texas, how many of you were not born in Texas? I'm so sorry, but we're glad you're here now. No, no, we're glad all of you, wherever you're born, it's wonderful. But here in the South, when there is a funeral procession, most of the time, people turn on their flashers. They go slowly, usually uh, with a police escort, but sometimes not. And what happens with the traffic, supposedly? They pull over on the side of the road in honor and let the, the funeral procession go by. And I love doing that. I love to take my hat off, put it over my heart, pray for those people, and pray that they were someone that was saved. Jesus comes upon a funeral procession. A lot of times when we think about Jesus doing a miracle, we ask him for something that is for us or for our family, but Many times in the New Testament, when someone asked like we would, it looks like Jesus' timing was off. Lazarus was one of his best friends. He spent a lot of time at Lazarus, Mary and Martha's house. And they sent word to Jesus, Lazarus, your friend is ill. And the Bible says Jesus stayed two more days where he was. So he gets there four days after Lazarus has died. It looks like often Jesus, his time is not the time we would choose. It looks like Jesus is late. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you write notes, write that down. The Bible says there's a time for everything. Long time before that old group sang about the to everything, turn, turn, turn. All you with gray hair know that song. I know you do. Long time before they wrote that. The scripture had read, recorded those things. There's a time to live and a time to die, be born and die and to dance. And there's a time to embrace and refrain from embracing, to cast away stones and to gather up stones. There's a time for all these things. And then underneath that, it says, and he makes everything beautiful in, depending on which translation, in its time or in his time. I have to be resigned to the fact that God's time is not always my time. When you were a child, did you want what you wanted when you wanted it? I was just talking to someone about our little grandson. We've got the cutest little, almost three-year-old grandson, that he is a beautiful boy, but he's a sinner. He's already found out how to want his way, and he wanted ice cream at our home. And I said, son, we'd be glad to give you some ice cream right after you eat your meal. I want it now. Now, he doesn't know how to say very many things, but he's got that down for some reason. Now, now. Man, he was going to have a standoff with Papa. And we had it. I mean, he looked like John Wayne. I'm not kidding. He's two and a half years old, and he does this to his granddad. And I looked at Holly, my wife, and I said, if it takes 10 hours, I'm going to break that little, that little uh, spirit inside that little boy with love that he's going to know. And I looked at him, and I got the same position he had. I'm 6'1", six, six but he, he's about two feet tall, but I had the same position. And I said, Luca, no, sir. And he looked at me, and I looked at him. I told Holly, if it takes 10 hours, don't, don't you come in here. I'm going to... And he stayed there, and all of a sudden, his hands went down. All of a sudden, his shoulders went down a little bit. And in about 30 seconds, he's in my lap hugging me. We're all sinners. And you got to break that in that little child. I know they're beautiful. I know they take the best pictures. I know that they're going to set the world on fire when they get older. But we're born into this world as a sinner. And the quicker you break that spirit in them, you don't break their spirit, you break their rebellion. They're going to love you for it. And then direct that strong spirit in the way God wants them to be. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. So uh, start early, start early. And if you ever see me doing like this, it's because my grandson's somewhere in the room and he's trying it again.
Jesus is never late. He's never late. It may seem like it to us. Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. Get the picture. They're dragging or they're carrying this widow's grown son out. He is a dead man. And when he sees this woman and all the crowd around her, he looks at her and it says he has compassion for her. And I'm so glad we've got a compassionate Savior. He saved me not with fear, not with terror. It was not hell, fire, and damnation that caused me to come to know Christ. It was compassion. He had mercy on me, a sinner. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. Now, one point I want to make right here. Some people wrongfully teach that all miracles are because of your faith or my faith. If you have enough faith, that miracle will happen. You just have to tell God what you want. He will do it. He's under obligation to do that if you have enough faith. When it doesn't happen, they just say you don't have enough faith. That's an easy out, isn't it? I want you to notice, how much faith did this dead man have? Zip. He has none. He is not going to be uh, the recipient of a miracle because of his great faith. Don't listen to people that might try to twist that. Uh, he's a dead man. He had nothing to do with it. How much did you have to do with your natural birth? I've asked you that before. Where you were born, who your parents were, what race you were, what time you were born in history, what uh, city you were born in, what hospital. How much did you have to do with that? I don't know about you, but I didn't order my parents. I didn't order the town that I was, the time that I was going to be born. We had nothing to do with it. How much did you have with your spiritual birth? Really, we have nothing to do with that. That's what God does. How much do you have to do with your sanctification? A lot. Because that's where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But here, he had no faith, so it's not because of, you know, I'm not a, uh, a, the person that I am because I chose that before I was born. And this man's not going to be raised from the dead because he had a lot of faith. Look at verse 14. He came up and touched the coffin. That freaks some people out. I've been in hospital since I was a teenager, and it's just second nature for me. Uh, I was in one not long ago, and um, I just walked over and, and put my hand on that dead body and I said, absent from the body and present with the Lord. And I didn't know that somebody was watching and they ran out of that room. It just freaked them out. Uh, we're not under the law of the Old Testament. If they were to touch a dead body in the Old Testament, you'd be unclean. You'd have to go to ceremonial washings and you couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't do a lot of things until that was that was taken care of. We're not under that anymore. And that, that uh, tabernacle or that tent is just a shell. Uh, now, one time I went to a house where someone had passed away and uh, another pastor of the church was there and I came in and I was uh, talking and sitting there and I was about to sit down on the bed behind me. It had been a long day and I was tired and I actually turned around and I didn't know the dead guy was right behind me. I'm glad I really didn't sit in the same bed with him, you know, but really, that person's already gone. That's a shell. Here, he went up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. You might have been a pallbearer before. Jesus is interrupting a funeral procession. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. Now, this is a literal human that it died a physical death, but the Son of God, the co-creator of the universe, commanded that he come back to life. And the, the, the creation had to do what the creator said. And he came back to life and he began to speak. That is a picture of our salvation, by the way. You and I were dead in sins. We were not just treading water. We were not just needing to get cleaned up a little bit. The Bible says, for we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were dead in our sins you who are dead in your trespasses and sins. But God who loves us, God demonstrates his love for us, commends his love to us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us while we were dead so that we could live for him when he died. Is that not amazing? So it says, Jesus touched the coffin, said to the man, the body, you arise, and the dead man sat up began to speak salvation comes to us that same way. It's when God speaks to us and gives us a gift that we can't buy, we can't earn, and we can't inherit. 
if I could give you Jesus here tonight, if I, if I knew you were not a Christian here tonight and I could give you Jesus somehow, I would do that. I would give everything I have for you to come to know Christ. If my mom, who loved me enough to tell me about Jesus, could have, she would have opened up my heart, I promise you, and just shoved him in there. But that's not the way it happens. Jesus has to speak to us. God has to draw us. And, but when he does, this is a picture, just like he raised that man from the dead, of us coming to know him. Now, I ask you the question, though. As I sat at the, the bedside of my mother as a teenager when I watched her breathe her last breath, how come Jesus won't do that for me? Did he love that family better than he loved our family? Why can't I pray? Why can't you pray? And when the funeral procession's going on, we just see that person get up. We'll seek to answer that before we leave tonight. So that's the first miracle, the widow of Nain, one of the first miracles Jesus did that had to do with raising from the dead. I love the next verse, the end of the verse. It says, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Is that not a great phrase there? He gave him back to his mama. Fear gripped them all, verse 16. They began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet is risen among us. Did they say the son of God's here, the Messiah's here? No. Is he the Christ? No, nope, they just said the great prophet's here. We've seen a miracle, a sign, a wonder. And they said, and God has visited his people. Again, that's proof. The people believed it was an act of God, not from any man. It was a miracle. And that's the purpose of miracles, to get people to believe. If the purpose of Jesus coming to the earth was just to raise people from the dead or heal us when we're sick, or multiply our food so we can feed 5,000 at dinner tonight, we would all be able to go do that tonight. But that's not what he came to the world for. If it was, we could do that. He came to the world for a higher purpose. He did these things just to prove that nobody else could do those except God. It just proved that he was the Lord. It wasn't the purpose of him coming. Some people teach that so wrongly. They believe if you have, they go and they tell a family that has a little child that has died, if you have enough faith, mom and dad, that little child, you can just say arise and it'll do like Jesus did. Jesus never said do that. Now, could he answer your prayer here tonight? Absolutely. When your family gathers around a loved one, could he answer that prayer and all of a sudden they turn around and there was a man here in our church that we were going to visit him and his family and Hospice was ready to say just a few hours. And uh, two different ones I'm thinking of. They had uh, cancer that had riddled their body and we were trying to comfort their widows. I had to go back three years later. Three years later. Because God, for some reason, just kept them alive. So God can do that. But that's not what Jesus came to the earth for. If it was... We just see people dead, raised always, everyone healed. That's not what he came for. Now, I've kind of put myself on the spot because when I say that's not what he came for and I'm going to try to answer that for you, why that doesn't happen, uh, I better have an answer. So that's the first raising from the dead. I want you to look at verse 17. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding districts. That's the desired effect of the miracles, that there's testimony of what Jesus has done. Three points I want to make out of that first miracle. First one is, Jesus works on his time schedule. We don't tell Jesus what time it is. He tells us what time it is. If he waits two more days to go see Lazarus, it's good for Mary and Martha and the rest of the people. He knows what he is doing. There's been so many times in my life when I asked God to do something the way I wanted it done, and it didn't happen. And then later, he did do what I asked him, and it was so much better, so much better than the way I asked him. So, number one, Jesus works on his time schedule. Number two, Jesus is a compassionate Savior and wants to save us. I have found in counseling and uh, pastoral ministry for a lot of years, I have found that most adults, not all children, but most adults think of God like one of their parents. If they had a parent that was absent, that was very passive, that was not involved in their lives, 
I had one of those. Never knew what my grades were. Never knew if I was in school. When I went to college, never knew what I was doing ever, ever. I had another one that was intimately involved in my life that knew everything and talked and we talked about things and, and she knew so many different things. But I don't need to put my view of God on the way my dad was. My dad would get very angry very easily. I gotta be careful that I don't think God's just an angry God up there in heaven ready to get mad at me all the time. So I ask you here tonight respectfully, if you have a perception of God as one of your parents, just back up a little bit. Thank the Lord for the parents he gave you, but study God's word and look at the picture of God. Jesus is a compassionate savior. He's ready to show kindness. Know you not, the Bible says, it's the goodness or the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. I love that verse. Number three, the gospel needs to be preached everywhere. There's still a lot of uh, people that are lost. So there's going to be two miracles. That's the first one. I'm going to read the second one to you that Jared read, uh, Jordan read to us tonight. But I'm going to compare the two right now before I go to the next one. One miracle is, is about one man. The next one's going to be about a little girl. One's about a father asking for his little girl to be healed, and one is a mother seeing her son raised from the dead. One, a funeral's taking place. One, the death has just happened. One's in public, one's in private. One, he touches the, the coffin. One, he touches the body. One of them's outside, one of them's inside. Jesus spoke to both the dead. There were crowds in both the miracles. There was family involved in both of them. One goes out and tells what Jesus did. One is told, don't you go out and tell. And both are a picture of salvation. Jesus does a work for us that we can't do for ourselves. 1 Corinthians 5, 20, 21, I believe, he made him, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is the gospel in a verse, and it's an amazing thing. Jesus wasn't a liar, a cheat, a rapist, a murderer, but he became those things that just as though he had done those things so he could take our sin on the cross so you and I could become righteous in God's eyes. That, that's incredible to me. They said Billy Graham got a speeding ticket one time. I can't picture Billy Graham speeding, can you? I just don't picture that, you know? Driving there in Asheville, North Carolina, he's speeding down the highway. But anyway, policeman pulled him over, gave him a ticket. He went to pay the ticket in court and the judge said, you're guilty. You were caught speeding. Billy Graham says, I know. Uh, I need to pay whatever that fine is. And he, the, the judge said, well, the fine is this much for speeding. He said, okay. As he was about to pay for it, the judge got up, took his robe off, went to the front, in front of where he was, took his own wallet out, and he said, but I'm going to pay your ticket for you. I thought that was pretty cool. Honoring a, an evangelist that has for almost seven decades shared the gospel. But that's what God's done for us. He didn't change his judgment. The wages of sin is still death. He didn't say, my bad, or I changed my mind. It's not so bad. I'm going to save everybody anyway. He said, no, I've got to keep my word. The wages of sin is death. But I love you so much. Instead of you dying, instead of your son or your daughter dying, I'll pay the ticket. I'll send my own son, Jesus. Is that not amazing? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Wow. Luke 8, 40. As Jesus returned, the people welcomed him for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus. He was an official of the synagogue. Now, real quickly, this was a man responsible for the administration, the maintenance, the overseeing of the worship in the synagogue. Synagogue was like a church, but it's kind of an unusual time. It's not the temple of the Old Testament, but it's a place, it's a room like a church that we have here today. He was an important Jewish official. And it would actually be shocking for them to see a Jewish official uh, falling down before an itinerant Jewish teacher. It'd be shocking because uh, it looks like that the roles are reversed there. 
It says he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house before he had only a daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. And I want to tell you, there's nothing more dear to the heart of a, of a parent than a child. Is there any, you that are parent or, or, or grandparents here, not, is there anything you wouldn't do for them? Anything? Oh, I love the sound. Is that not beautiful? Those things I think are God-ordained right there. I love the sound of the babies. Can you make them do it again? This was pretty good timing. The parent's heart for that child is one of the strongest bonds on this earth. And it says he implored Jesus. That literally means I'll do anything you ask of me. I'll give everything I have and I'll actually give my life if you'll just have mercy and heal my little girl. I hope you're never in that position. I have been before. Anybody ever been to Cook Medical, Children's Medical Center? We wouldn't happen to have any medical people here tonight, do we? Anybody work in the medical field? I honor you for that. That's an amazing calling. I watched superheroes in that, in that uh, hospital over there when our little boy was 10 days old. There isn't anything I wouldn't have done for my little boy to be made well. So this man begs him, and she's only 12 years old, and she's dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Now, there'd already been an interruption, though. I won't go into it, but the part in between these verses before there, you remember that woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. It's interesting. She'd had been sick for 12 years. His daughter was 12 years old. The whole time of her life, and she said, I'll never get to see Jesus. I don't know how, how. He won't hear me. But if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I believe I'll be made well. And she pushed through that crowd. And the people are bouncing into him. He, everyone, his disciples are, are trying to probably keep him, you know, shielded a little bit. But she touches that and Jesus stops. And he asks that question, who touched me? Master, the crowds are thronging you. They're, they're around you. He said, no, who touched me? Because I perceive that virtue's gone out of me. There's a miracle's taking place. And he calls that woman, and she has to confess right in front of everybody that now, after 12 years, she'd spent all she had on all the doctors to try to fix what she had, but now she's healed instantly. And that's a wonderful story. We say, amen, what a compassionate Savior. But what if you were Jairus? Jesus is on the way to your house, and your little girl's dying. It's nice that he takes care of a widow, but not now. See, Jesus' time, Mike, I got to get that across to me, is not always my time. What could Jairus have done? He could have said, no woman, I've got compassion for you, but Jesus is on a mission. He's going to my house. My daughter's about to die. You're not dead yet. Let's go first and maybe we can come back. He didn't do that. He could have got angry that Jesus took the time. There are interruptions in our life. And I just want to tell you, the further you walk with Jesus, God is in the interruptions. He's in the disappointments. Sometimes our disappointments are God's appointments. And so this woman reached through to touch the hem of his garment. She's made well. But notice what happened here. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter's died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Jairus heard the most awful word that he could ever hear. A nightmare. Your girl's dead. Again, as a dad, why, Jesus, did you stop for that woman? But he didn't say that. It's interesting, too, if a person touched someone who had an issue of blood, what did they become under the law? Unclean. Jairus is willing for this itinerant Jewish preacher who's touched a woman and a, a dead body, going to touch a dead body, but he's inviting him into his house because he wants his girl to be healed so badly. Don't trouble the master, the teacher anymore. Jairus could have been mad at the crowd. 
He could have been mad at the woman. He could have been mad at Jesus. He could have been mad at the world. But verse 50 says, but when Jesus heard this, do you think Jesus knew Jairus needed some help? He knows when we need some help too. When Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer. He knows that he has been afraid, but he says, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Only believe and she shall be made well. Believe is in the aorist tense. That means Jairus needed to keep on believing. It means that he, he needed to make an act of faith. I trust that you are all going to do this. I keep believing and not let the circumstances make you sway from that. When he came to his house, he didn't allow another to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Jesus isn't the greatest showman. He's not a performer. If the purpose Jesus came to the earth for was to do mighty miracles, works, signs, and wonders and raise people from the dead and heal everyone and put on a show, the church would be doing that today. But that's not what he did these things for. He did them in compassion to show that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, that no man could do these things, but that's not the greatest healing that there is. He put everybody else out, Peter, James, John, and the girl's father and mother. They were all weeping, lamenting for her, and he said, stop weeping, for she's not dead, she's not died, but she's asleep. They began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. They mocked him, they made fun of him. That's the attitude of the natural man. Unbelievers sometimes that don't look at, uh, believe in Jesus or look for his power, um, they're going to laugh. They're not going to believe. But it says, he, however, took her by the hand. He touched that little girl's dead body and called, saying, child, arise. There's going to be a day. I say this almost every graveside funeral. I had a funeral today, but it wasn't a graveside. I say it almost at the graveside of everyone that, that I bury. There's going to be a day when the voice of the archangel of God and the trumpet of God sounds and these graves are going to open up. That's why everybody is supposed to be buried a certain way with their face. If they came up, they'd be facing what direction? East. Because Jesus said, when you see the, like the lightning comes from the east and goes all the way to the, the west, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. There's going to be a day when Jesus says, come forth. And he's going to raise us from the grave. Woo. You talk about the greatest show of power that the world could ever even dream of. He took her by the hand, called, saying, child, arise, and her spirit returned. She got up immediately. Uh, she didn't have to work at it. She didn't have to uh, slowly recover. When Jesus healed, he healed completely and raised her from the dead. And he gave orders for, for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed. But he instructed them not to tell anyone what had happened. And that's kind of shocking to us. In the first one, they went out and told everybody. In this one, he said, don't tell. Uh, just real quickly, he might have been taking care of that girl. She would have become a spectacle. She would have been somebody that probably couldn't even live a normal life if they had known she had died and come back. Uh, because of what Jesus did, she probably would have been put on show and display. and He might have been having compassion there. He made sure his, his miracles were not for publicity. Jesus did not do that for a, a show. But I think also, probably, he's trying to show that it's not his time yet. Often through the Gospels, he said, my time is not yet. My time is not yet. Why don't you go to Jerusalem and be, be shown to the people? My time is not yet. And I believe most likely that's part of the reason he told them to go and not go tell. What can we take from this passage real quickly? God works in his time, just like we said in the first raising from the dead, regardless of the circumstances. He makes everything beautiful in his time. Uh, it's sometimes the least likely people that are going to be saved. Jairus is a Jewish official in the synagogue. Not somebody you would think is going to be uh, receptive to the, the, the message of Jesus, but he was. I've got some people that are brothers and sisters in Christ now. And when I heard about their salvation, I said, say what? Them? Is that the same one I knew? And they're probably saying that same thing about me. Jesus can use crisis and tragedy and pain to bring people to himself. I had a man give his testimony in the 8 o'clock class I teach. 
and he was a TCU football player, a big man. Tommy talks about him all the time. He's in church every Sunday. But he fell from a, a derrick, an oilfield derrick. He fell down on a pipe and it impaled him. It went through his body. And he said, Lord, if you let me live, I'll become a Christian. I won't be a wimpy one, but I'll become a Christian. And he has shared the gospel of Jesus ever since then because God let him live. A miracle is a picture of salvation. Jesus is the Lord over death. Why wouldn't God be able to raise somebody back from the dead? Who wants them to stay in the grave? Satan. Who wants us all to die? Steal, kill, <coughs> excuse me. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's his game plan. Why wouldn't God be able to thwart the devil's game plan and raise somebody from the dead? He is. And there's a time and place to speak of the good works of Jesus. What about today? You may say, well, Mike, you've read two times where Jesus raised somebody from the dead, but I've asked for that before. He didn't do that for me. I believe Jesus came to the earth doing those miracles to show that he is God. When he healed that blind man, John chapter 8, no one has ever heard of someone born blind that's able to see. Nicodemus came to him. We know you're from God for no one can do these miracles except they're from God. That was the purpose to show that he was the Christ and that it would show that people would come and listen to his salvation message. Some of them, if they just came because of the miracles or they came because they ate of uh, the, the fish and the, and the bread and the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, you've just come for those reasons. You need to believe. You need to believe who he is and trust in him. That's the purpose of those miracles. Um, I want to close with what I believe is the way he is still doing miracles today. Because I've prayed for him to raise people up out of the grave. I've prayed for him to raise them out of the hospital bed. I've prayed for a lot of things. You don't have because you don't ask. Whatsoever you ask in my name, he will give it to you. That's all qualified by asking according to his will. But I want to end with a story that I believe Jesus is still raising people from the dead. There was a man that was convicted uh, of a terrible thing that he did to a young woman and ended up uh, abusing her and murdering her. And he had been on death row for quite a while. A pastor went to go and visit him because he knew that the time of his execution was coming quickly. And the pastor says, as he told the story, I wonder what kind of person was going to walk through the door. What kind of animal would it be that walks through that door that could abuse that woman that way and to kill her? And he was picturing in his mind what you and I probably would picture but when the man walked through, he walked through that door and he looked as normal as anyone. He looked as well put together. He looked calm and at peace. He didn't look like a monster at all. He looked like your neighbor. And the pastor was really taken back. And the man, as they talked back and forth, the pastor said to him, I got to be honest with you. I didn't expect you. I expected somebody that looked like this or looked like this. And I didn't expect somebody articulate and and put together in, in, in control of yourself the way you are. And the man says, well, I want to tell you something. I've not always been that way. But I've come to know Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. And he's forgiven me of the evil acts that I've done. And I know I'm going to be punished for that. And I will receive the consequences for what I've done, rightfully so. <clears throat> but I'm forgiven. And I'm not that person anymore. The Bible says, but if any man be in Christ, could that be a murderer also? But if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And this man sitting, sitting there in front of that pastor, not the same anymore. But the pastor said, what can I do for you? And he said, I have one request. I want to write a letter to the family of the, of the woman that I had, had killed. And I want to ask their forgiveness. The pastor said, I'll, I'll try to get it to her. I don't know what will happen. I don't know what they'll do. He writes that letter. He gets it to the family. And for weeks, the man hears nothing. 
it comes to the time that he is about to, by lethal injection, be executed for his crimes. And right before they take him into that, he is shown a letter from that family, and that family says, we forgive you. And that man fell down on his knees and his face to the ground, overwhelmed that they could recognize that he was a brand new person in Christ and they could forgive him. Men and women, that's a real story about a real man and that's a real miracle from Jesus because he's still raising the dead. And that raising the dead from our spiritual death and bringing somebody a brand new alive in Christ is a whole lot better than raising us from a physical death. You could get well of every illness and you could be raised 15 times from your coffin, but it doesn't even hold a candle to you getting forgiven of all your sins and you stand before heaven one day totally spotless. He's still raising people from the dead. He raised that man from the dead. And if you're here tonight as a Christian, that's what Jesus came for. He came to take a sinner and make her not a sinner anymore, him not a sinner anymore. He came to take the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. That's one of the best miracles I've ever heard about. You're here tonight and you never had that miracle take place in your life. Better than getting healed from a physical disease or getting healed from a physical death. Jesus is in this place. He's in this place. These guys just sang about him a while ago. We just read about him in the best book that's ever been written. That man gave testimony about him. I'm not the same person that would have walked through that door that you see now. Because Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. What about you? Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your word. These two miracles that Jesus, you did, are almost beyond our even reading them, beyond our comprehension, how you could touch or command a dead body to be raised and they have to obey you. And we know that one day you're coming back to raise your church from the dead. We're going to go be with you forever. There's going to be the sound of a trumpet, the voice of the archangel from God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. We'll be raptured together and we'll ever be with the Lord. Oh, Jesus, just like you said to Lazarus, come out of that grave. You said to that man, stand up. That little girl, arise. You've said to every heart here in this room tonight that's a Christian, come up out of that deadness of your sin. Be washed, be clean, be forgiven, and become a child of God. Men and women, young people, if you're here tonight and you've never experienced that, uh, we would do anything for you so that you would call upon the same one that touched these people in this story tonight. Come and talk with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.